We've been telling you about Walter's Brunch the last few days, but did you know that they are also open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. You know, even though the Nats are out of town right now, there's a lot of activity in the ballpark area. That whole neighborhood has really transformed itself the last few years. And if you're looking for a place to go during the day, in the evening, want to catch the game, When they're on the road, head over to Walters right across the street from left field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now Walker to the belt. And a throw over. Harrison was leaning and he is out. Picked off first base. Looked like he might have been going on three and two and he got caught leaning on the first movement. Looked like his body was sending him towards second base and he was not able to get back. The 1-1 line drive to right center field. This one's up the gap. No one's going to get it. It's going to roll to the fence. Conforto will pick it up on the warning track. Robles speeding for second. He's thinking three. Here comes the relay throw toward third. The head first dive and he is out. So Robles gunned down trying to leg it into a triple. And that is out number one. And the Nationals have made two outs on the bases in the first three innings. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 26, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the good news is the Nationals actually did have an extra base hit on Sunday. The bad news is it was a double on which Victor Robles got thrown out of third, and thus was the way the offense went again. A 4-0 loss at the New York Mets for the Nats to lose the series, drop two out of three, and for the Nats to suffer a fifth shutout loss in 19 games on the season. The Nats now are 8-11 and 11 with by far the worst run differential in the National League at minus 24. Oh, by the way, Patrick Corbin struggled again. Mark, happy Monday. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Al. Where do we begin with this one? There's a lot of different ways we can go with this. And it keeps feeling like they have a nice moment in one game and you're saying, okay, they're actually, they're doing all right. If they could win one more game and win the series, like that'll be three out of four series. And They're hanging on despite the injuries and everything else. And then they have a game like this that just takes you right back to where they they started. I mean, they're not, you know, in a terrible hole at 8 and 11. And maybe the schedule is about to ease up a little bit. But as difficult as the situation has been, as bad as things have been here in the early going, there have been at least three or four games already that you could say, boy, if they just did a couple other things, they would have won those games. And they could actually have a winning record right now instead of a losing record, which would be remarkable given everything they've had to deal with. 
It was a frustrating game to watch on Sunday because the Nats, to their credit, hit a lot of balls hard. And there were times when you just kind of threw your hands up. I mean, that Kyle Schwarber hit, and it wasn't a hit, but the way he made contact with the baseball, where he sends it to deep center, and Albert Almora makes one of the great catches in this season so far, leaping catch at the warning track, goes smashing into the wall. I mean, you're kind of like, what are we supposed to do here? That's, it just it felt like they had some good at-bats. They had some good plate appearances, but it ends up being an overall another feeble offensive performance. The Nationals, through 19 games on the season, are batting 242 as a team with a mere 308 on base percentage and a mere 356 slugging percentage. The team has not hit a home run since last Tuesday night, the Josh Bell home run. I know they're without Juan Soto. I get that. We all get that. We keep bringing that up. We should bring that up. But the likes of Bell... And Kyle Schwarber struggling big time. Trey Turner is really cooled off. And Trey now might be injured. Left forearm contusion. We were told after the game, x-rays are negative. But we all know how that can go with the Nationals. It just feels right now like the offense, you just cannot count on it. And if it's going to be good, it's going to have to be good like it was on Saturday, where you have 10 singles and you score in all kinds of ways. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. If they're just sitting back and waiting for somebody to hit a three-run homer, it's just not going to happen right now. Now, I will say this. Kyle Schwarber hit a baseball 409 feet to center field. That should be a actually a three-run homer. There were two runners on base. It should have been. And then his good friend and old Cubs teammate, Albert Almora, stole at least a double, a two-run double from him. And Schwarber had the same reaction you did. You just kind of laugh at it and throw your hands up and be like, you know, what are you supposed to do at that point? Now, that's not to say that they had great at-bats otherwise, but that one, you know, should have, it was 93% likelihood of a hit. So they got the 7%. That's where we are right now, where they're only getting the 7% go against them. And the other one, you know, again, Josh Bell still is having all kinds of problems at the plate. I'm not trying to overlook that at all. But in the first inning, he hit a laser 111 miles an hour off the bat right at the shifted second baseman. And hey, props to the Mets. They had him exactly where he needed to be to make the catch. But if you're Josh Bell, you're saying, what do I have to do? I finally connect on one like that and I have nothing to show for it. And, you know, those two with Soto out, those two have to be the ones to produce in the middle of the lineup. And they're going to continue to be in the middle of the lineup. Not a whole lot of all their alternatives there, although we can talk about Ryan Zimmerman later on, if you like. I suppose you can look at this and say, hey, they each hit a ball really well in this game and should have had a hit and didn't get it. But they're at a point right now where they're just trying to cling to these couple of positive signs. And that's not good because if, if they need those to fall for them to have a chance to win a game, their margin for error is razor thin here. Yeah, and this was part of the problem of addressing the lineup in the offseason with bounce back guys, you know, Bell and Schwarber. Like, they have been good in the past. No one's saying they haven't been, but the notion that like, okay, each guy's going to bounce back fully in 2021 off bad 2020s, it's like, I don't know, will they? And so far they haven't. Not offensively, not yet. I mean, Josh Bell in the series at the Mets goes 0 for 11 with a walk and five strikeouts. He's the cleanup batter in all three games. I mean, Davey is giving Josh Bell every opportunity here to do well, and it's not happening. And like you said, there was some bad luck on Sunday. Okay, fine. But at some point, you got to show some results. Josh Bell has a slugging percentage of 238, 238 on the season. Like, he's here to hit, and he's slugging 238, not batting 238, slugging 238. That's horrendous. Like you said, we did see Ryan Zimmerman. It was nice to know that he's still alive. You know, he strikes out. But what do you want from the guys? His first game in a week. You know, Schwarber, bad luck with him, like we talked about with the Almora play. But, you know, Schwarber on the year is slugging just 308. He goes two for 12 in this series, two singles in RBI, no walks. I mentioned Trey Turner. He's really cooled off. One for 10 with a single and no walks in this series. What did Davey have to say, by the way, about the hit by pitch that Trey took later in the game? 
you know, he was hit by the pitch in the sixth. He was very slowly walked down to first base. You could tell that it hurt him. I thought it got him in the elbow initially. The 0-1 pitch. Inside and it hit him. Got him on the left wrist or arm. And Turner, feeling that one a little bit, tosses the bat away. And he's trying to shake it off without showing much to the other side. That one hurt. I guess it was the forearm. And then he took the field for the bottom of the sixth and the seventh inning as well. And so it wasn't until the eighth when his spot came up that Ryan Zimmerman came up to hit for him. So maybe it was one of those things that after a little while, it started to swell up on him or something like that. So they took him in for x-rays right away. They said those are negative, diagnosed with a contusion of the forearm. Cautionary, he got, yeah, one got x-rays, negative. He got contusion on his forearm. Now the team is off Monday, and I think that'll be the key is, is how does it feel after all that before they play Tuesday in Dunedin, Florida against the Blue Jays. And after this game, Davey was encouraged, thinking that he'd be good to go on Tuesday. But like you said, we've seen stranger things happen before. And until he's actually, I was going to say until he's in the lineup, no, until he's actually at the plate in the first inning Tuesday night, I don't think we can say with 100% certainty that everything's going to be fine there. Yeah, we won't see him until May 15th, okay? No, I mean, I'm kidding when I say that, but it, that's how it feels with, with these injuries. Like, you just don't know, and you just assume the worst with these things. And then there's this. When the Nats do get hits, they run themselves into outs, and we continue to see this with this team. Josh Harrison ends up being the leadoff batter in games two and three in the series, does not end up having a very good series, two for 13 with two singles and no walks. He does have a first-pitch leadoff single in the top of the first on Sunday, then gets picked off at first base by the Mets starter, Taiwan Walker, moments after a previous pickoff attempt by Walker had nearly gotten Harrison. So you feel like, you know, the alarm bell should have been sounding. And instead, just like, I don't know, a minute later, 90 seconds later, the guy gets picked off. And then it felt like nothing was worse than the Robles thing because Victor Robles has had this as an issue previously this season. He does start on Sunday off, remember, being benched on Saturday. He came into the game as a pinch hitter, actually had a pinch single on Saturday. But he gives you a leadoff double, top of the third on Sunday then gets thrown out at third, trying to stretch the hit into a triple. And I know Davey was not happy about that at all during his postgame press conference. He wasn't. Let's go through them both real quick. One point I want to make on the Harrison one, it was a 3-2 pitch to Yadiel Hernandez, and the hit and run was on. The thought from Davey was Yadiel's good contact guy, try to make something happen early in the game and try to stay out of a double play, which is all well and good. But if you're the base runner, you cannot take off until you're 100% certain that the pitcher is throwing to the plate, not behind you at first base. So that's a bad mistake there. And, and who knows what might've happened in the first inning, if not for that. Now, the Robles one, that's all on him. And I don't know how many people saw the wide angle replay of it. Bob Henley at third base had both hands up in the air, could not raise him any higher than that. This is not a Bob Sendley situation. This was all on Victor Robles, a bad read. I was a little disappointed in, in his answer afterwards. He was kind of not making it sound like he thought it was a bad decision and more crediting the Mets for a great relay. And look, it was a close play. And that's why I'm officially not calling this a toot bland because it was a bang bang play. And to me, a toot bland is one where it's just blatantly obvious and you look ridiculous on the basis. Now, that said, it's a terrible out. You cannot do it in that situation. And that's where it really boils down to. And this is what Davey Martinez is talking about. Uh, but right there, you know, you can't make the first out at, uh, at third base situational awareness. You're leading off the inning. The pitcher is coming up behind you. You lead off with a ball in the gap and you've got a clear double. Stay on second base. Let Patrick Corbin, who's not bad with the bat, get a bunt down, move you to third. Now you're third base with one out. That's your job as a number eight hitter. And instead, in trying to get to third base with one out, with the, with nobody out, with the pitcher up, chances are he's not going to drive you in anyways. So it's having the awareness 
And that's something you have to be thinking about before you ever even get in the batter's box. That's not a spur of the moment as you're rounding second thought. That's knowing when the inning begins. Okay, I'm leading off. The pitcher's behind me. Don't do anything that's going to now put him in a spot that's going to hurt us. So that's frustrating. And it's frustrating that Davey has to keep talking about these things with his 23-year-old. I know you can say he's young and he's going to learn, but these are repeated mistakes. And he's been in the big leagues long enough that it should not continue to happen. And I'll be interested to see what, if any, uh, ramifications there are from it. I have defended Robles. I have advocated for him to get more of a shot near the top of the order. You know, to his credit, he does get on base. He went two for seven in the series, which by current national standards is actually quite good. Had a double and a single, but he does keep doing these things. And I can get where Davey's coming from, where it's like, how many times do we have to tell you? And like you just said, you know, he's not a rookie anymore. He's been up at the major league level for multiple seasons. So, you know, you have these two base running boo-boos on Sunday. We talked on the podcast for Saturday's game about the Starling Castro boo-boo where he gets out at home on a failed squeeze play with Joe Ross bunting. If it feels like the Nationals have been one of the poor base running teams in the majors so far this season, that's because they have been. Fangraphs has a great all-encompassing base running stat, base running runs. The Nats going into Sunday, 26th out of the 30 major league teams in base running runs on the season. So the Nats quantifiably have been one of the worst base running teams in baseball so far this year. And when you combine that with the lackluster batting, you're putting yourself in an awfully tough spot when it comes to scoring runs. And here's why they go together. I'd be willing to bet that, you know, 75% of the outs they've made on the bases have been mistakes of aggression. And these are guys trying to do too much because they know the offense isn't hitting and isn't scoring runs. And so they're trying to create runs and create situations to score runs and going too far in trying to do that. Yes, base running is great. You want to be aggressive. You want to put pressure on the defense, all those things, especially when you are struggling to score runs and struggling to score runs in bunches. But you're hurting yourself when you're forcing the issue and ultimately giving away outs that they just cannot afford to give away. And so to me, these kind of all fall into that same category. Maybe one or two of them haven't been quite the same thing. But most of these to me are cases of pressing. We hear about guys pressing at the plate when they're in a slump. This is guys pressing on the bases because the team's in an offensive slump and it's got to stop because it's not helping them at all. By the way, have we gotten any kind of an update on Soto when he might be back or do we still not know? So he hit off a tee on Saturday, according to Davey. And, you know, that's all good signs if he's doing that. He's eligible to come back on Friday would be the first day he could come back when the team is back in town. The issue is, and I, I don't have an answer to this part, is that the shoulder was bothering him not when he was swinging. It's bothering him when he throws. And I don't know if he's attempted to throw yet. My guess is if he had, Davey would have told us that, volunteered that information. He let us know that he was hitting off the tee and that things were going well there. So I guess on the one hand, it's good that while he's out, he is still able to hit and maybe keep his swing going and he's able to run and all those kinds of things. But my hunch here would be until he shows he can actually make throws from the outfield without any issues, they're not going to activate him. And so, you know, hopefully by Tuesday or Wednesday while they're down in Florida, they would get a report that he's able to do that because to me, that's the only way he's going to be activated on Friday. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, Soto coming back obviously would help, but it's not going to be a magic bullet. It's not going to be a cure-all. Schwarber and Bell have got to get going. Trey Turner's got to get back to where he was at. Nats have got to stop making outs on the base paths. This isn't just because Juan Soto's injured. Nats were struggling offensively prior to Soto getting hurt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. We've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. If you live in Virginia, you have access to the sportsbook. You can make as many baseball bets as you please or even NBA bets. If you think that Bradley Beal can carry the Wizards down the stretch and into the playoffs, go to FanDuel Sportsbook to make it interesting. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. Corbin coming set. He delivers a 1-2 pitch, swinging a ground ball, base hit in the left field between Castro and Turner. Headed home is Davis, he'll score. Conforto to third, he'll stop as James McCann picks up his fourth RBI of the season. Mets lead at 3 to nothing. It was another bad day offensively for the Nats on Sunday. You could argue, though, the bigger story is what happened with the Nats starting pitcher. Patrick Corbin, really bad over his first two starts, so much better in his third start, and then back to being bad on Sunday. He ends up giving up four runs in just four innings, gives up seven hits, two homers, a double, and four singles, issues three walks, has just three strikeouts, throws just 48 
of his 79 pitches for strikes. Mark, through four starts, Patrick Corbin has an ERA at 10.47 and a whip of 2.02. Not the way it was supposed to go, and it just felt like watching him on Sunday, way too reminiscent of what we saw from him over those first two starts of his season. A 2.02 ERA is fantastic. A 2.02 whip is is awful. No, yeah. If your whip is starting with a two, you're in really bad shape. And that's where he is right now. And unfortunately, you could tell in the first inning, he was not locating the fastball again to right-handed hitters was up and in, not over the plate. The slider, which, you know, is his out pitch. And he's trying to throw that where it looks like it's starting at the knees and then darts down, almost hitting the back foot of the right-handed hitter. He wasn't even getting close to that point. They had no reason to swing at them. That was a bad situation. And what it wound up doing is now he's behind in the count. And you could see it was almost like he's taken a little bit off the pitches just to try to get something in the zone. And it gave up two homers because of it. One was on a, a fastball over the plate to J.D. Davis. The other was on a slider over the plate, Pete Alonso, who almost hit the big apple out in center field on that one. So not good. It could have been worse. He was actually helped by his defense in this one. Mr. Kyle Schwarber, your favorite defensive left fielder, had a very nice sliding catch and an excellent throw to the plate that was overturned on replay for an out. That helped out Patrick Corbin a lot. It's kind of back to the drawing board, and it's not good. (laughs) He needs to figure these things out. He needs to get the mechanics back right again and figure out what he was able to do in his previous start against the Cardinals that he could not in this one and get ahead in the count. I mean, that's what it is. Fastball command, get ahead of the count, and then you can do everything else that you need to do after that. But when he doesn't have that, as we've seen, it can get ugly pretty quick. No doubt. Now, with Schwarber, let me just say real quick, all praise to him. He was outstanding in the field on Sunday. We can debate that sliding catch he made on Saturday and how good it was truly. That was a legit catch that he made in that Mets one-run fourth on Sunday. Backhanded sliding forward catch on a first-pitch fly ball off the bat of Jonathan Villar. It's funny, if you watch the replay, you can see Schwarber's eyes come off the baseball to monitor Trey Turner, because I think Schwarber may have thought that Turner might take the ball. Trey did not, so Schwarber had to put his eyes back on the baseball. So he, like, he, he was able to not lose track of it. And then he makes a really nice catch. And then the throw was like, that was like a Jesse Barfield type throw. That was a great <laughs> throw that he made for an outfield assist to get out Francisco Lindor, who obviously can run for what ends up being a double play off the bat of Michael Conforto. So yeah, man, I mean, when guys do well, I got no problem praising them. Schwarber was very good defensively in left field on Sunday. Here's the thing, though, with Corbin that's standing out as much as anything. And we've talked about this, but the extent to which this guy cannot throw strikes and the extent to which this guy is issuing walks. You know, Corbin last year was not good, as we've talked about. He, over 65 and two-thirds innings last season, issued 18 walks. He already, this season, over just 16 and a third innings, has issued 10 walks. So as bad as he was last season, he's been appreciably worse this season just when it comes to issuing walks. That's frightening. Like, what was already not very good last year is even worse so far this season And, you know, like velocity matters, of course, but man, if this guy can't locate his pitches, there's not much of a chance here. He's got to get that rectified. Yeah. Now, here's the the one thing I'll say, and I think we tend to forget about this because of everything that happened after it. But early in the 2019 season, there were a couple of starts that he looked really bad also. And and it was mostly because of that same issue, walks. And you thought, oh man, are are we looking at Gio Gonzalez reincarnated here? And he did figure it out. And obviously it was fantastic the rest of the way, and they don't win the World Series without him. So I think if you're Patrick Corbin, as frustrating as this is, there are some things you can look back on and say, okay, I've done this before and the fix might not be as difficult as it sounds. I mean, he, he insists that he's healthy. He's not feeling anything like that. You know, Davey brought up the fact that he did, like others, had to, you know, be shut down for a week. 
when he went on the COVID IL and, and it just ruined all the momentum he had coming out of spring training. And so maybe he's still finding his way back from that. Now, again, this is his fourth start. So it's not like he hasn't had enough opportunity to build himself back up again. So I don't know if that's really an excuse, but there does not appear to be any kind of physical reason for any of this. And he did find something in that last start, getting on top of the ball a little more and not on the side of it when he's throwing his fastball. So maybe there is something there for him and Jim Hickey to look back on and figure out. He's done it before. I don't think anybody's going to give up on him right now, but it's pretty close to a worst case scenario for how this has started out for him this year. When you combine it with Steven Strasburg being injured and John Lester still waiting to make his debut, that's a bad combination. They desperately needed Patrick Corbin to be one of their reliable pitchers, not their biggest problem. It felt like batting practice at time. You know, bottom of the fourth uh, begins it by giving up three straight hits, double J.D. Davis, double Michael Conforto, RBI single by James McCann on a one-two pitch. You're like, I mean, what is happening here? I do wonder if he does continue to struggle and Strasburg comes back and let's say Eric Fetty is still pitching well, do you think they'd come up with some phony baloney reason to put Corbin on the IL and keep going with Fetty at this point? Like it's not a certainty that they're just going to keep throwing Corbin out there every five days. Yeah, let's see. I mean, that's a little bit down the road. And, you know, we don't know when Strasburg's actually going to be pitching for them again, although he did throw from 120 feet on flat ground. So he's building himself up and it's not like he's totally shut down right now. But I imagine they're going to be cautious with him, bring him along slowly. You don't want to have to get to that point. But if they do reach a point where it's clear that they have five healthy starters and the sixth of them is Corbin and he, you know, he's clearly not one of their five best who are available, then yet you got to figure something out at that point. I don't think they're there yet. I think they probably feel like the best answer, just like in a way with the hitters like Bell and Schwarber, the best way to get them out of this is to keep putting them out there. And and the only way to figure it out is facing live pitching. I think in Corbin's case, you can work in the bullpen all you want, but you got to face real hitters in real situations. If you're not injured, it's a matter of working on the mechanics and finding that right touch to get the command that you're missing. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill and relax. For those of you who struggle to sleep, like myself, I cannot recommend these enough. I had a wonderful night's sleep Saturday night after taking some Sunday Scary CBD. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD gummies and CBD oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order. At sundayscaries.com and our code NATSCHAT, where as for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off. Again, 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day, and I'm excited to finally use this. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to 
advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off in free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WASHINGTON. If there was a bright spot from a pitching standpoint for the Nationals on Sunday, it was the bullpen, specifically Austin Voth, who maybe just maybe has found himself here as a longer reliever, as someone who doesn't get utilized as a starter, but someone who can come in, you know, pitch for multiple innings, three scoreless innings with four strikeouts for Austin Voth on Sunday. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. So the Nats get four scoreless innings from two relievers. Nats over the three games at the Mets get from their bullpen three runs in 10 innings. So overall, a pretty good job by the pen. I know both did give up a run in the bottom of the seventh on Friday night, but here you had Davey Martinez over these three games, never using Brad Hand, never using Daniel Hudson, and yet the bullpen ends up doing a good job and both look really good, I thought, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they wound up, like you said, not using Hudson or Hand at all on the weekend and, and only used Rainey at the very end, which wasn't a situation that they needed him to pitch in, but he, they probably felt like, hey, let's just get him an inning of work. So I, I guess that's a good sign, but also you would like to be in a position. I thought Sunday's game really set up perfectly for them if they could get six innings from Corbin to just go Rainey, Hudson, and Hand because they were fresh and available. It just, you know, the game didn't dictate it. But both very encouraging and maybe there is something there. I, I, a lot of people have thought for a couple of years now that he would always be good as a starter. He'd be good the first time through the lineup and then would fall apart after that. And so maybe there was indication there that he could be effective in a one or two inning relief appearance where he can let it all go. He was throwing the ball well. I think this is a, you know, a nice sign for them. I don't know where that ultimately you know slots him in a bullpen. I don't know if he's going to be a setup man or anything like that. But as a bridge guy who can help get you to your late inning relievers, that's a nice thing to have. And Rainey, you know, the velocity is ticking up again. He averaged 96 in this game. We wondered, did he still have that? He's not all the way back yet, but signs are getting better. And maybe that's why it was good to get him in this game, even though they were trailing by four runs in the in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with pitchers is not everyone obviously is Max Scherzer and, and not everyone is designed or capable of consistently going six, seven, eight innings. So I think what matters is find what a guy does do well and deploy him that way. And, and if this is the best usage of Austin Voth, where he comes in two, three innings out of the bullpen, maybe you can do like some tandem starts where Eric Fetty, when he starts, you know, you're only counting on four innings, maybe five, and then you go to vote, something like that. But instead of trying to force everyone, you know, into that same cookie cutter mold of let's get them to six innings, seven innings, like not everyone's built for that or capable of that. So if they found something with both, I I do think there's value in that. So good for him if in fact, uh, this is what he can do here now. So Nats have another off day on Monday. Then it's two games at, quote unquote, the Toronto Blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida. There will be a designated hitter. So we expect to see more of Ryan Zimmerman than just one plate appearance over the course of a week. I almost felt bad for the guy batting on Sunday. I'm like, what do you expect from him? He's got to be ice cold at this point, having not played. But, you know, Blue Jays are obviously not a great team, but they do have some great talent. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been on fire so far this year. And at this point with the Nats, yes, it's nice that the schedule softens, but it's not so much about the opposition to me. It's about them. They've got to start hitting. They've got to start playing cleaner baseball. No, they are going to have to. And maybe the ninth hitter will make a difference 
for them because now Davey doesn't have the dilemma and he can actually keep Josh Bell in the lineup and have Ryan Zimmerman in there as well. And, you know, the at-bat, you're saying you felt bad for him. I thought it was a pretty good at-bat and there was an opportunity. The game was still in a little bit in doubt there in the eighth inning. They had two on with one out. It should have been Turner's spot. Zim comes up to bat. He took a 2-2 pitch at the knees or below the knees that was called ball three and then took an identical pitch and was starting on his way to first base and then was rung up by Doug Eddings. And he gave a look like, seriously, you know, I mean, maybe it was a strike, but if that one was a strike, then the previous one was a strike. And if the previous one was a ball, then that one should have been a ball. And that kind of killed the momentum for, you know, whatever chance they still had at a last ditch rally there. He will play both games, probably at least one of them at first base, maybe one of them as DH. For the moment, they are scheduled to face a lefty Stephen Matz on Wednesday. So that's a good matchup. For Zim, the, at last check, the Blue Jays had not announced a Tuesday starter, but I think Hun Jin Ryu already pitched maybe on Sunday, so they won't be facing him. Let's see a deeper lineup. Maybe it does make a difference. I think we're going to see a lot more Yadiel Hernandez, <laughs> who had a very nice weekend out of the two spot. I don't know how long that's going to last, but you ride it while you can, especially in the situation they're in. You hope that Trey Turner is good to play. Maybe they can also now, with the DH, with Zim in the lineup, maybe they can move Turner up to the leadoff spot or the number two spot and not put the pressure on him to be number three hitter. I believe for a while that he could do it, especially if Soto's hitting second, but he hasn't looked the same, you know, these last few days since he's done that. Maybe put him in that more familiar spot at the top of the lineup. And now you have maybe Hernandez, Zim, Bell, Schwarber, Castro. I mean, you have guys behind him who can hit and maybe that all produces something. They just, they need a game where it all comes together and, and not like the seven run game on Saturday. They need a game where they hit a couple balls out of the park. Maybe the uh, warm, moist Florida air will help the ball travel down there in Dunedin. They need it, no doubt. I mean, again, no home runs since last Tuesday night. Not the way it's supposed to work. You mentioned Yadiel Hernandez, though. He does end up doing a really nice job these last two games. As a number two batter, four for seven with four singles, two walks, and two RBI. And Andrew Stevenson actually ended up having a halfway decent series at the Mets. Uh, three for nine with a double, two singles, and a walk. Keep your feedback coming. We love hearing from every one of you when it comes to the Nats Chat podcast. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show as well, Podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.